Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week you're joined by ceramic artist Suzanne Wang. I first became aware of Suzanne and her work after witnessing an awesome documentary capturing her year-long apprenticeship under a master ceramic artist out in Japan. Suzanne gave her craft full focus and dedication and is now back home in Hawaii, where we get a chance to take some time to discuss how her journey went, what she learned along the way, and what she plans to do with the lessons learned moving forward. This episode is brought to you by Learn Squared. Learn Squared is an online art education platform that is founded and powered by industry-leading artists from around the world. Our mission at Learn Squared is to show you how to achieve your artistic dream of having a career in the artistic world. If you feel you have the passion and dedication it takes to be in this competitive environment, head over to LearnSquared.com and begin your journey. So here we go, everybody. Episode 161. Let's roll. Well, um, first and foremost, thank you for so much for coming on because I know this has been, um, we've been in communication for, let's say, months now, off and on. Oh, uh, like yeah. over six months, I think. Mm-hmm, about a half a year. Um, ah. Some context for people that are just kind of jumping into this conversation. I was on a vacation with my wife out in Kauai and I was flying back to Oahu from Kauai on the little uh, Hawaiian Airlines and... Um, I was look, just flipping through like the channels inside the the, the airline just for fun, mm-hmm. and this documentary came up, and I was oh this looks interesting, and it was a documentary on you and your journey and your process and 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 where you went and how you're you know like I think it was you were you're on the verge of going or you had just started to get into it and stuff and yeah I was like my second month that they filmed the final stuff in Japan. It was awesome. I was. Yeah, I was, thank you. <laughs> uh, I was smitten by it because I love these journeys, you know, and I think that um, these are stories worthy of telling and sharing. And I think it was really <laughs> awesome. And so that's kind of like what led us to this. And I was like, okay, I put your name down in my phone and I was like, okay, when I get home, I'm trying to track, <laughs> track you down and then we'll do a <laughs> podcast. And then, yeah, half a year later, we're, we're here. So, yeah. 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 So I just got back like two weeks ago yeah. from doing this one year apprenticeship in Japan with this master potter, Ken Matsuzaki. Mm. And um, it, I mean, it, from a Western standpoint, it was definitely an apprenticeship, like yeah. a ceramics apprenticeship. But uh, I, you know, slowly realized while I was there that uh, what I was doing was nothing like a Japanese apprentice. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually Japanese apprentice do a minimum of like three years. Oh, and okay. I was just there for one year. And you know, there's just all these crazy stories about what they're subjected to and what they have to uh, overcome. And, you know, um, like the first year, you know, you're, you only wedge clay and sweep and clean. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good though, because it really builds your foundation and humbles you, I think. Yeah. 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 So my experience was much more condensed because I, um, and I also got to do my own work, which they're usually not allowed to do after working hours. Um, and I was allowed to do that after six months, I was able to work in the evening or solely on my own work the last like four or five months that I was there Wow! Um, because he gave me an exhibition or he arranged an exhibition for me to have in Tokyo the last month that I was there. So I was really, really blessed, you know, so lucky that I had the opportunity to do that because it's hard for a foreigner to get into a department store. Yeah. 
situation and have an exhibit. You'd have so, to explain in a little bit more details, I imagine, for people that, um, you know, like yeah. you know, how it works, because like, it is much more intense. And that's cool. Yeah. It's really nice of Ken to kind of streamline it. Do you think by having that streamlined process of the of the, the, the mentorship uh, or apprenticeship um, affected you in a positive way or a negative way by speeding it up a little bit? Well, definitely. It was a life changing experience for me. Um, you know, I'm still kind of processing it. It's going to take a long time for me to fully understand uh, what it really meant, you know, because I, I still haven't uh, started doing my own work yet since I've been back. Mm. But I'm sure, I mean, it's going to reverberate into everything that I do in the future. But um, he, yeah, it was, I mean, of course, it's more of a superficial understanding compared to what a lot of apprentices in Japan go through mm. um, because everything was kind of sped up for me. So I got a taste, you know, uh, I was able to do a lot of the things that the apprentices do. Um, but just on a more level, um, because it was just one year. Yeah. But I think, um, I'm a little bit older and I have some experience behind me that, you know, and plus I'm a foreigner and I couldn't speak the language. So that was like a huge, yeah. <laughs> you, you had a lot going against you, but you managed to work out, you know, I survived. A, a positive situation from it. Yeah. Now, overall, yeah. do you feel like, um, like you have a positive yeah. takeaway from it? Is it something oh, that yeah. really kind of gives yeah. you something, something mm-hmm. some strength or something, something that you might've not had prior to this journey? Yeah. I mean, it taught me, you know, the main objective was to, uh, hone my discipline because that is like one of the core things about doing anything, you know, to get good at anything, you really have to persevere. Yeah. And you need discipline. And discipline just involves doing things over and over and over and over and not give up. Um, That's really the core of, you know, of mastery, I guess, is to just like, you need to kind of be kind of relentless and also have a vision. Um, If you don't have a vision or you don't have uh, a way to really artistically express what's in your heart, then, you know, you could make a good worker or maybe even a good craftsman. But to be like to be an artist or an artist craftsman requires like all these different things. Mm. But the core foundation is is discipline and diligence. See, people, see, see, this is why we're here doing this because you're <laughs> dropping all kinds of delicious gems like this in that video. And I was like, oh man, we got to, we're speaking the same language here. We got to definitely do a show together because yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think that there's a lot of important ingredients and especially to touch on what you just said, like having relentless, you know, relentless pursuit, but not just for relentless sake, but also having a vision yeah of an end goal i think is really important and by latching on to a year i think um did that really help um elevate the experience it condensed it did you feel like you were on borrowed time when you were out there in japan doing your apprenticeship well i felt um it felt like a dream like when i'm back i came back to hawaii and you you know you lived in hawaii it's kind of like time warp here where things move slowly. <laughs> it's a bubble. Yeah. It's very it's slow. So there. Yeah. A bubble. Yeah. And so when I came back, everything was kind of the same and it felt really weird to be back here. I'm still kind of adjusting. <laughs> um, when I was in Japan, it was such a complete experience. You know, I'm Chinese American. I speak Mandarin, but 
you know, Japanese is like totally different and yeah. we don't, we didn't talk very much, um, in the studio. Like it's, it's really minimal, you know, conversation mm. and the other apprentice, his main apprentice, there's only one other person that works for him. Um, most of the time and that's his main apprentice and he hardly spoke at all. Hmm. So it really felt like I was like a pottery nun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we worked six days a week, 12 hours a day hmm. and it was hardcore, you know, just really focused and, um, beautiful. It was, though. Yeah. Amazing to watch him. And, it, you know, and I knew because it was one year, like I, even if it was two years, you know, I, I would have been able to handle it, but it was definitely, a super different lifestyle than what I'm used to in Hawaii where, you know, everything here is <laughs> Hawaiian so time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything here is kind of very relaxed and, you know, people are not perfectionists here, No, but in Japan, it's a very OCD culture and, um, <laughs> like super OCD and people are just like everything they do is intentional and thought through and meticulous and they're really, um, in general, as a culture, like very responsible and diligent mm. workers. Yeah. So that I took a, a lot away from that. Um, do you feel yeah. like it's affected you in the way that you approach your workflow now? Are you bringing that intensity or do you think going back to Hawaii? Because, yeah, they are pretty polar opposite. I mean, you do have like the, the Asian influence in Hawaii that I know that I grew up with. It's, it's very much dominant there. But right. the Hawaiian time is what we call it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you'll tell a friend like, Hey, come over, hang out. Let's watch this show. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, I'll cruise over in a bit. And then yeah. like three hours later, they're, they're, they're yeah. like, wait, <laughs> that window's already stopped. And, and being here in, in California and working in the film industry and stuff, um, oh, yeah. be, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a similar to Japanese culture, but nowhere near as disciplined, mm -hmm. obviously. So I don't, you know, I've never encountered any culture that's been as disciplined yeah, as I experienced with Japan, it's a whole Actually, different. Actually, I, I worked in the film industry for several years because I have a set design set background. Design, yeah, yeah. I found that that was such a good foundation for me in life because um, working in the film industry uh, really taught me to be, you know, you got to be on point and like uh, I, I kind of call it, call it like being at cause versus being in effect. Mm. So when you work in film and also in a lot of Japanese, you know, fields, you have to anticipate other people's needs and anticipate what's to come. And so you're at cause, like always like one step ahead mm. so that you don't need to be told what to do. If you're being told what to do, you're kind of just in effect of things around you. Mm. And so I really, uh, realized how much I learned in the film industry when I started the apprenticeship. I, all these things that you learn from the past, you know, past jobs, your education. It's, I think it's important to bring all that stuff with you, you know, into whatever you do and, and utilize, you know, yeah. the skills you've learned. Um, Cause you also so, have a master in fine arts as well, right? Your degree. Yeah. in set design. I went to NYU for, um, I majored in like film and theater design. Hmm. Yeah. Very well traveled. I love that because I think that anybody that I've met that's well traveled has a really good understanding of just how things work, and they're not. Um, I think sometimes a big flaw I find in people when they're not able to traverse the earth and try different cultures and foods and stuff. I find mm -hmm. that there is a tremendous shortcoming with them, and I think if there's one thing you could do to really help you and your personality grow is traveling. 
acceptings of different cultures and being aware and cognizant of just different processes and stuff. Where does that sure. come from? Are you, are you kind of nomadic in that nature or is that? Yeah, kind of- I think so. Because I, I was born in Taiwan, but I grew up in the Bay area. Yeah. Like my, my parents immigrated when I was a baby. So I grew up in San Francisco and around there and went, got my bachelor's at San Francisco state. But then I went to New York after that. And um, even when I was like, when I was 19, I, I went to Europe for five months and traveled around and, um, I've always loved that, you know, maybe mm. it's the Sagittarius in me or something, but and yeah. I lived in Hawaii too. When I, when I was in grade school and also high, high school, I would spend like a semester mm. in there. And so, um, so I always was drawn to come back here, but in my twenties, I was like a big city girl and, you know. New York, and then I lived in China, and even in England and Hong Kong, and lived in these big cities. Um, but I always would want to come back to the Big Island, mm. and I, I finally kind of slowed down after living in Hong Kong. I just kind of burnt out on that kind of <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I love visiting those places, but it was just you know the energy there is just super intense. And so that's when I moved to Connecticut. I lived in rural Connecticut for a few, <laughs> three years. What, what brought, what brought that on? Cause that's quite a contrast as well. What brought I on the was, Connecticut move? Well, I was living in Hong Kong and working in product development for like the giftware industry. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some interior design, like free freelance stuff. And, um, I lived over this little tea shop and, um, I had a studio and I would go down and have tea with the girls there. And we became really good friends. And um, my friend who kind of hooked me up with the studio was buying tea from that tea shop. Like they specialize in pours and um, oolongs. And so then I started getting educated in tea. And he was like, come work for me in Connecticut. Huh. And it just sounded kind of appealing at that point because I was just like, that big city living was just really getting to me. And so I moved to the countryside and just completely did a 180 and lived like in a cottage and had to like <laughs> my own wood and, you know, and started getting into country living, I guess. And I did that and, and that led me back to Hawaii. Hmm. Yeah. Cause Hawaii is very country living too. I mean, if you're not, I mean, Oahu is kind of, Right, Oahu is different, but otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's Hawaii, but I don't really consider it Hawaii, my personally. So, <laughs> Oahu yeah. has some beautiful it's spots. Maui? So, uh, Maui Wait. is is baby Oahu, I think it's. But I love Maui though. I think Maui has a great blend of all those things, you know, because you have yeah. the the great the great uh, Hana is really beautiful, and then um, Haleakala is really amazing. Oh my God, it's amazing! It's, it's isn't a spiritual. Um, if you know what we're talking about. Uh, there's this uh, massive, uh, it's obviously dormant now, right? Haleakala is dormant now, but it's a massive uh, volcano on Maui that goes up above the cloud line and you can drive up to it and watch the sunset or, or um, sun um, right. rise. And it's just a completely spiritual journey. It's just, uh, yeah, my wife and I went there too, um, a couple years back for a vacation because I always drag her over there because I'm like, if we ever have extra money or, you know, time for you vacation. Drag like, her. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. She, she enjoys Hawaii. Just, I don't think most people enjoy it just as much as me. I don't know. It's, it's like a, something happens to me when I get there, the smell of the, 
yeah, pl- plumerias in the air and just the, the, the way the skin, like my skin feels out there, just feels really comfortable yeah. and I just feel good. You know, I just feel really spiritually grounded. I feel like that's where my, my spirit really lives, you know? So really? yeah. Well, especially I, if you had your childhood yeah, there. It's familiar. You know, yeah. Leave such a huge impression. I mean, you're so lucky, you know, to have been able to grow up in that kind of environment. If you think about a lot of the places that kids live now, you know, or grow up in, like it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you're blessed to have been able to be here, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's just, it was just, um, I mean, it's a little different too. like being a, a white boy out there is a little different. So and I got to, got a chance to really experience that. Um, yeah, cause there's, there's some, um, not everybody, obviously, and I'm not going to make any blanket statements, but, um, it's not common for people to really, um, like white people out there. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, this to some people, I mean, it's Hawaii has a very shaky, um, history with um, yeah. colonists and stuff and people coming in right. there and, you know, I don't blame the colonists that come over there across the ocean they, and they find paradise basically and they want to keep it for themselves, you know, so but yeah. um, Hawaiian culture is very sovereign and they're very pride, prideful right. and strong in their, their beliefs and their cultures. And yeah, it's like, it's kind of like segregated and yet at the same time, there's a lot of assimilation. So yeah. there's contradictions going on because you have all the, the, the transplants, the mainland mainlanders that come and, you know, and we always say like, how long will they last? Cause it's, it's a very transient place. And then you have the locals that have been here and will never leave. And yeah. then you have the mixed, you know, like the Asians that just stay like the Japanese, the third, fourth generation Japanese that just keep to themselves. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's the, a trip. The hodgepodge is really great though. That's one thing I really appreciate. And then the variety that you get from there, mm. um, is, is unlike any other place too. And again, I think it's to contrast too. like Japan is very authentic and unique as well. You know, I think it's, mm-hmm. got, it's a very got It's got a very unique and authentic, um, t- tone and, and, but you weren't like, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you were, you weren't in like a main hub city. You were like in the outskirts in a smaller town, right? Yeah, it was two hours north of Tokyo, so okay. it was kind of like a small country town hmm. of like maybe I think it was like forty or fifty thousand people there. Yeah, but there's like so many potters that live there, so everywhere you see kilns and things going on. Hmm. Um, so it was a really creative place, but really low key. Hmm. You know? Yeah, so it's like a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, there, there was a few cafes, but I, I was so busy working most <laughs> of the time. I didn't have a lot of time to socialize until the very end. And I made some really good friends there. That's awesome. And that was, you know, had a huge impact on my experience was meeting Mashiko people and they were so kind and generous and, you know, that, that really changed it for me. And yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah. There's, I, I have a couple of friends that are Japanese or live in Japan and they're just like some of the nicest people I've ever met, like the most loyal and nicest people. And yeah, it, for me, it's like a big lesson to learn because in America I find, and maybe you would agree or disagree on this, but, um, it's very heavily ego driven and out for one, you know, and I think mm-hmm. in Japan they have the Island mentality similar to how Hawaii has it too. It's like, mm-hmm. You know, we're on this island and we got to somewhat work together on these things, you know, and yeah, and, um, yeah I've been thinking that. about that a lot because there I feel like, um, well, Japanese 
culture tends to put other people's needs first before their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's like a huge difference between American culture. You know, we're much more individualistic and self-centered. Um, yeah. And there's good and bad in both. Yes. Because I think that with the Japanese, there's a lot of repression. Um, yeah. People don't really say what they really mean or, you know, if it's negative, they, they don't want to express anything that's going to disrupt the harmony. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But in States, I feel like people tend to complain a lot more, uh, <laughs> be negative and bitch about stuff and, you know, easy come, easy go. Like we're more friendly or easy to make friends with people, but it doesn't mean that they have your back or you have their back. Yeah. And, and it's like, it takes a long time to make friends. Hmm. They're much more reserved. But once you've established like that friendship, I mean, my God, like I've never experienced anything. I mean, it brings you to tears, you know, like they cry when you, when I was leaving, like we were all crying and mm. um, it's just like, it's really, really heartfelt. Mm. It's real. It's authentic it's because super of that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it takes time, but they really are, you know, very uh, authentic. Yeah. I think you touched on it perfectly though, because I've noticed that as well. Um, mm. Because like, um, you know, uh, there, there is a bit of, not, I wouldn't say oppression, but it's just, they're, they're not necessarily going to go out and say what they think at, at all times. You know, I have friends that do, of course, and, but they're like, they've lived in the States. And so they had, you know, a taste of both worlds too. And so they definitely have their yeah. own, but the culture runs deep, you know, those habits and those patterns of culture run, yeah. really run deep and stuff. And, and either way, I think it's great too. Yeah. That was probably the biggest lesson. Like, um, the, the, the way um, uh, people communicate there, it's more vague or gray area, as mm. they would say. And the teaching style was also completely different from Western teaching style. Mm. So uh, it kind of re- <laughs> reminded me, like, you know, in The Karate Kid where Mr. Miyagi, like, tells the to go yeah to go and uh wash all his cars and wax and you know paint the fence and and he didn't know what he was doing and he wasn't told why just do it and so he and it's exactly like that like my when i was apprenticing like i'm just told what to do i just do it like observe they don't explain too much to you Mm. and you just start doing it and it's only later that you kind of realize what you've learned yeah it's it's this sort of like uh i don't know like native american philosophy called coyote teachings where you just learn by watching Mm. and or japanese sometimes say steal with your eyes you know Uh, with your eyes mm. so you just watch and that way of learning is much slower and you know you make a lot more mistakes but the learning is more deep because you make your own habits and patterns based yeah. on the observation. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you would let me do something, I would be making, you know, like I threw like, I had to do these practice cups. So I threw like 200. And then when I was finally done and he had looked at them, you know, and checked them and kind of gave me little corrections, but very minimal guidance. And then finally at the end, he's like, you know, if you do it this way, then you can keep the cylinder straight. And I was like, what? You tell me now? Like, <laughs> he laughed he's like see now you understand i was like oh yeah but you wouldn't if you just told you in the beginning yeah i would have done it and i wouldn't have really thought much about it but because i had been he just he told me like after i'd done hundreds and Hmm. it really sunk in you know Hmm. that way so i think 
And it wasn't vindictive, right? It was just... Oh, no, no, no. No, but it's sort of like that's, you know, his approach was kind of hands-off, and he'd kind of see me struggling Mm -hmm. and doing something maybe that he knew, like, uh, you don't need to do it that way. But he just, like, would let me struggle, and then eventually I would figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. Or if I didn't, he would finally tell me, and then it would really, like, sink in, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the lesson. So that was really different from what I've experienced. You know, going to colleges in the U.S., the way the student-teacher relationship is so different. You know, we don't have that. In Japan, like, there's this reverence that you have for your teacher. Mm. Like, you would never question your teacher. And, you you know, it's it's like a totally different attitude. And, and in this case, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm not really... I don't really like, you know, hierarchy. And so I, that's just my nature in general. So it was kind of hard at first, like to kowtow or to be very, you know, that sort of really humble attitude. Sure, where subordinate. Be, yeah, super subordinate. And, and gradually, I yeah, kind of. Because that's one thing I gathered from that documentary. I remember you saying like, you're kind of, you're, you always kind of, like how you travel, you just kind of go, okay, I'm going to do this. And you're headstrong and you just figure it out as you go, you know, which is interesting because uh, what you're experiencing was completely different. So it was like, I, I hats off to you because it was a humbling experience, I imagine, you know, to really shift and change your deep patterns, you know. Plus, you know, being a woman, like, yeah, there's just not a lot of female apprentices. There are more now, but it's, it's really hard physical work. And um, at first when I asked him if I could study under him, he was like, uh, it's too hard for women. Like, uh, you know, he kind of brushed me off at first and sure. kept, you know, pers- you know, asking him and asking questions. And finally he was like, well, you know, if you're really interested, you have to do this and this. It took almost three years before I finally went there. It was a really long process. How did you seek him that. out? Did you just discover him or did you, like, is he, re- he's obviously renowned, right? For what he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty famous in Japan and, um, he did a workshop in Kona at a art center and I took that workshop like uh, four years ago and then he came back the next year and um, they were looking for like a volunteer assistant. He was doing like a short-term residency. So I went and assisted and that's when I kind of got to know him better and then I asked him and so then I applied. I had to go jump through some hoops and do this long process um, and then he came back, uh, six months later and then I went to Japan to visit him because I wanted to see what this town was like and just really show my intention, yeah. um, you know, on my dime and everything. Like I really want to do this. I really want to learn from him. Mm-hmm. So I think after I went to Japan, that's when he accepted me, but it would be another year before I could go. So because just aligning things with your schedule and what you're doing in life or just because yeah. he, for with him as well, aligning together. Yeah. 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 So it, it worked out and a lot of people write me and how do I get an apprenticeship, you know, with a potter in Japan and yeah. it's not easy. You have to really want it, right? It has to be a very ser- serious commitment from you to drop yeah. everything, right? And to go. It's really risky for them to take on a foreigner because sure. the culture is so different. Uh, I think a lot of foreigners wouldn't, they would feel like exploited. 
Sure. Um, and they wouldn't really understand the working style. Feeling exploited because they're asking a lot of you, a la working 12 hours a day. Yeah. Six yeah. days a week and not getting anything from it, right? I mean, yeah, well. Yeah, like a stipend to live and to, you know, for your, if you even get that. I don't even know, you know, if every apprentice gets, I, I, I'm pretty sure that if you're doing that kind of work, then at least you get your food and housing paid for. Oh, that's great. Who cares then after that, you know, but you're getting education. And I think that's, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate about what you did is because you realize the value of learning under a master because you'll, you'll never, ever get that experience other than working under somebody that's, I call them time machines, you know, like he's a time machine, you know, he's already done there. He's been there and done it already, you know, and he did seven, no, he did five years and his apprentice, his current apprentice is on the seventh year. Whoa. The guy that you said that he was working really hard, the guy that was there. Yeah. yeah, he's been there for seven years, wow. and that's usually like pretty much the maximum. But some people will go longer if they feel they're not ready to go out, you know, and they still want to keep apprenticing. Hmm. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's really insane, and um, it's beautiful I though. Say, I love that. It's being a disciple more than a. I would I would say it's more like being a disciple because hmm. you're just completely submitting yourself to this person. And you just, you have to just like, let go of your own, you know, you just, I I submit. (laughs) Yeah, you have to, right? I mean, you have to be a blank page. I think you can't come in there with all the baggage. You have to just accept the fact that you know nothing and this person does and you just agree to that and um, take with it what you can. It's really difficult though, I think, and especially for, yeah, like you mentioned, a foreigner, uh, mainly, especially like Americans are very prideful of knowing what we think we know, you know, because right. that's where we gain a lot of value, you know, it's like, right. oh, I know how to do this. And so you should pay me, you know, yeah. um, where it's completely different, I think, in this experience, which is awesome. I think part of me is just really um, envious of your ability to do this, this journey, you know, you. I'm going to, I'm going to have to do something like that later on in life. One of the, what do you want to do? Um, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the things that I grew up with that I really admire and love, they're already kind of on their way out in regards to like the marketing and the the budget and business side of things like with animation, Mm -hmm. Excel animation, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Stuff I grew up with, I think Mm -hmm. it's on its way out, unfortunately. Um, I think so. I think so. Um, Mm. it's a lot more CGI based and stuff, which is fine. Um, it's just a different thing, but I would love to go and learn under a, a master like mm. artist under that kind of that kind of setup. It's it's um it's already in the plans that uh we're gonna go and we're gonna probably my wife and I are gonna buy a little small condo or something in Maui, and then we're also wanting to buy something in Japan. Um, oh wow! To go visit and be so spend half the year, um, mm-hmm. qu- quarterly basically break it up and have and come back to to San Diego and stuff because this is where our, our is she Japanese? Friends, so. Yeah, she's half Japanese. So oh okay, does yeah. she speak the language? Yeah, she's pretty, uh, she knows how to like, um, she doesn't use it obviously all the time, but, and, um, but she, when she hears it, she knows how to dissect it because her mom is, um, fully Japanese. So, right, right. and I wow. took it, I took it as well when I was in, uh, when I was in, I think it was Maui. Yeah. When it was huh? at Lahaina Luna, I took it <laughs> for wow. about a year or so. So I, I forgot a lot of it, but it's not hard to pick it back up and it's yeah. a, it's a complicated language, but it's, it's, um, you can, if you get the core essence of things, you can kind of work your way around it. I think. Soon. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part is getting that core, the foundation of the grammar. And then once you, it was really difficult for me. I, that was one of my biggest 
uh, obstacles was learning the language because I was trying to memorize sen- sentences and yeah. my approach was totally, you know, wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> how did you overcome that? Where did you did you end um, up overcoming it? Not really. I mean, I I had tutors and language exchange partners, yeah. but. Um, at the very end, I started watching YouTube videos, which I was like, oh, man, I wish I had done this in the beginning because there's some really good teachers there. Yeah. Like, it's good to have a English-speaking, like, fluent, you know, teacher that can explain the grammar. Yeah. And then it's all a matter of doing the drills. You just have to just practice speaking. So my listening was much more, you know, much more advanced than my speaking abilities. Mm. But it's just everything is... Um, the opposite, you know, the verbs come last and they yeah. don't use a lot of you and I no. in sentences. So it's, it's interesting though. They told me, I found out that if you go to college now in Japan, if you're taking anything in the sciences, everything is taught in English. Huh. That's interesting. The language of clarity they feel because Japanese language, and there's so much in Japanese language that's borrowed from English, um, like loan words that it, you know, it's just not a very, um, uh, it, Japanese can be very clear, but they tend to be more, the sentences tend to be more vague hmm. and not as specific as the English language. So I thought that was really interesting that they don't teach the sciences in Japanese. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that is interesting. A lot of my friends that are in Japan too, they also are pretty decently fluent in English as well. And when I went out there to travel, um, yeah, we didn't have too much problems um, with, tra- with, you know, we'd bring the phone along with Google Translate everywhere we went. So that's a right. godsend as well. But um, yeah, YouTube is amazing. It's amazing to have that ability um, to know. just hop on there and learn from an expert or somebody that's close to it to kind of get a basic education on these things. It's like if you're diligent about it and you're really persistent about learning it, you can. So which I yeah. think is awesome. Yeah. You mentioned a book that you had read. I started reading it, but I never, um, I didn't finish it because it was like one of those audio or not audio book, but, um, I saw it online mastery. Yeah. Mastery. Yeah. Yeah. It really reminds me of your story because of what you're doing. It's the basic core formula of it. There's two different books um, named mastery. I'm not sure which one I got you to read or listen Mm. to. Um, one of them is, I think, uh, I'm looking at my shelf. Robert Greene, I think, is one of them. Uh-huh. And there's another one. It's up in my room. I can't remember the name of it. Which but, one's better? Uh, they're both really great. Uh, let's see, Mastery Book. They're both really great. They're just, um, they offer different ex- approaches, but I think that they're both huh. really solid. So there's one called Mastery by Robert Greene with mm-hmm. an E after Green, and that one's mm-hmm. really incredible. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. another one... Um, see it's literally called mastery and it's just as good i think they're both great that's that's what's funny about it they're both they're both really um okay it's called mastery of the keys to success and long-term fulfillment and this is by george leonard which is really that's the one that i saw yeah that's that cool. one's really good too they're both really really good okay and i think they just kind of help if you have any kind of ambiguity, so before all this, because it, what I think what's interesting is we have some kindred things is I went off and did a year apprenticeship at a really gnarly studio. And you did? I, and yeah, that's kind of how I got my start in the industry. I, ah. I commuted every day from San Diego to LA to this really crazy studio that does like incredible work. And I learned underneath all these people, but it, again, it's in America and it's a completely different thing. But 
right. a lot of similar um, approaches and just my diligence, my like, I was just res- re- relentless on my pursuit, you know, like I wasn't going to oh. let anything get in the way of it. I was like, okay, I'm doing a year and I'm going to be intense, you know, so. Uh-huh. Um, were you young, really young or how, how um, old were you? It was about seven years ago now. So I'm 34 now. So I was like mid twenties. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty young, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But before all that, though, in my life, I, there was a lot of, and I imagine every a lot of people that are listening to this as well. There's a lot of ambiguity in your life too. If you're not raised with like structure and, mm. and you know, and having a, a role model in your life that just kills it and does a great job and shows you like, hey, this is how you do great. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you don't have that. You have to reach out, and you know, you can use these things like these podcasts. And there's a lot of really great resources out there. But there's these books, you know, and I think these books, these two books. Um, really solidify uh, mm. these these you know if you if you're wavering through like the idea that you can't master something or you have a hard time mastering things or you have a hard time really locking in on what it is that you want to do in life or um you don't have the the perse- perseverance to do so like you know listen to our stories at the same time get these books because mm-hmm. they're just like tools or ammo you know ammunition right. you get those deep doubts and you go oh you know well he said this in that book and that helped him yeah. blah 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 or whatever you know what kept you going through even with all these like imagine there was some pretty heavy moments where you're just like damn you know i mean i know that through the documentary too is that your father who you're close yeah. with had some health issues and you had to kind of leave him when he right. was was dealing with that, was that probably some of the hardest stuff to go through, or oh, what, yeah. what was what was more of the difficult, you know, things that you, that, you encountered? That was probably the hardest. Uh, that along with I had to leave my house. Um, I subletted my house. My cats were here, so you know, my home. There was some issues with that, and so I. Re- but mostly, it had to do with my family, and it was just a really, really challenging time to be away. Um. But I knew that this was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity and that if I postponed it, I might not go back or I might not, you know, be able to do it if I postponed it a year or something, you know, not only with my schedule, but with my teacher's schedule. So I just kind of bit the bullet and and did it and, you know, no regrets. Like it was the best decision. Mm. That I made. Um, There's always but, excuses, right? To oh, yeah. you know, like you know, my cat or whatever, and they're yeah. legitimate. They're legitimate things. Your dad's health and all that stuff, but totally. But you, you were like, okay, well, you know, you seize that moment, you see it, and I think probably what you might have saw, and forgive, um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but you probably saw the end goal. You know, like you had well, it in your mind. Picture, you know, you got to look at the bigger picture. Yes. And I think for like younger people, it's kind of hard. I look at the way the way our world is now. I mean, especially, you know, in America, because that's where I live, um, that we're so ADD now. Like everybody wants instant gratification. We want the answers. We can Google it. Everybody thinks they're an expert because they can just look it up. But that kind of knowledge is really shallow. Mm. If it's just, you know, reading something or watching something like I think that with younger people now, it's hard. I think it's hard for uh, because there's so many options, yeah. you know, and yeah. you can just quit your job and, you know, it's just much more transient. And so to be really good at something or to be dedicated, it just like, I it just keep going back to like, just keep doing it. Just discipline yourself to just keep, don't give up. 
You cannot get good results by just doing something for one year or, you know, if you have a job for a couple of years, like that's just a job for a couple of years. But if you really want to be good at your craft or to be an artist, you just have to just really stay focused. And even if it's just doing it a couple hours a day to, to get a practice in place, you know, with anything, right. You just have to do a little bit every day, a little bit more. And, um, and that kind of, that will sustain you. But if you're just doing something on spurts, like binge working, and then, you know, like it's not really a healthy way to be, uh, in terms of your longevity for your career or whatever. It's just in life in general too. Yeah. 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 You'll burn out easily. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's happened to me in the past, like Mm. being in film or, you know, it's just being able to notice what brings you joy and why does it bring you joy? And, you know, being able to capture that essence Mm. and replicate it, you know, what is it like, what is it about this craft or whatever, if it's graphic design or if it's pottery or painting, like, what is it that brings me joy? Why do I like this so much? And then how can I, you know, how can I make a living? Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a difficulty connecting those two. Right. It's a big bridge to cross over. I'm not fully making a living doing pottery yet. You know, Mm. I've got a ways to go. Um, but if I give, you know, you just have to keep, keep at it. Mm. And sometimes it takes, it could take 10 years, you know, Mm. but you have to decide, desire it and want it right. And have that passion for it, which is really difficult though. Yeah. A lot of people do things because they think they should, or they want the status or, you know, because it, uh, looks good on paper, but if it's not bringing them joy and, and they're just doing it because of the money or because of the title or whatever is, you know, that's just gonna, it's not a very satisfying life. Yeah. And so, the shallow existence, I think. And, uh, yeah, but you know, people also got to survive, right? Yep. If you have family and you have mouths to feed, then you, you can't really, yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. But if you're fortunate enough to find something that you love to do and then have a good support system for that, then and balancing that, you know, uh, in your life with, you know, maybe at first you might have to do a, a, a second job to make ends meet, yeah. but just staying consistent with that thing that you know you love to do, just don't give up on it. Eventually, I think you'll be rewarded. Yeah, I think the universe responds to that effort, really. That's trying to be a hippie here, but like that's really my approach, you know. (laughs) I think if um we all we all are I think it's like uh I talked about this with my buddy Nate about, you know, paintings, for example, when um you look at a, a really well executed painting, you don't you don't just see the painting, you feel the time and hours that are put into it. If you're really observing it properly, I think and and no matter what that law of whatever that is of um we appreciate it, you know. I think that there's never been a better time in this in our species history ever to be able to just do what you find you joy and share that with people and for people to go like, "Oh, you know what? You're really good at like making like whatever, you know. Um, you know, mm-hmm. making stuffed animals or something. You're like killing it with that. That's so cool and finding a way to create a market for yourself and being able yep. to do so, I think is there's never been a better time uh, mm. m- mainly because of the internet and the ability to, to self promote and stuff. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, 
it is difficult though, you know, to take that, um, that jump. And I think one of the things my friend said about this stuff is if you want freedom, you need to find a way to remove as much financial obligations to your life as possible so that you are fluid and natural and, and free flowing and you don't have to, you know, take on certain jobs. Cause that's one of my problems. My cost of living is pretty high. So I have to take on a certain amount of responsibility wow. to maintain that, you know, right. that, that, but at the same time, that's the kind of the life that I like to live. You know, I like to be able to right. eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. When I was growing up, when I'd go through a grocery store, I imagine you probably had same experience or you go and you'd look through, you know, the aisles and I wouldn't even look at the product. I'd look at the price first, always uh-huh. the price first. And now uh-huh. I don't even care. I'm like, just, I want to eat that thing. It doesn't matter. You know, if it costs a couple bucks more, it's like whatever, you know, and that's a good place to be. But I come from like pretty, pretty, yeah. um, like, no, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's frugal. It's just like knowing how hard it is to acquire because like I grew up as a single mom and, and, and right. you know, having ends. Me is, yeah, there you go. And you know, it's like, it's not, it's not easy, you know, the food stamps and all that kind of stuff. It, it's really, it's uh it's very humbling, but yeah. So you feel like you grew up in a environment of scarcity. Yeah, I guess so. And that can actually hinder me from growth too. In the future, I've talked a lot of like my successful friends or people that are, you know, mm-hmm. getting in their million millionaire kind of status and stuff. And I'm, mm-hmm. I think, and I look at the way that their mind programs things and how they respond to stimuli and I go, wow, like your response is completely different. Cause you're not focused on, you're not focusing your energy on all these things. Like, do I deserve it? And stuff like that. You know, you're, right. just, you're, you're just experiencing it, you know? And yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's this approach though. Yeah. yeah. And being like, I think that I've, I have, or I know people or even myself sometimes, you know, that scarcity mentality, can really limit you. But sometimes also, I think, um, I like, I like being, uh, I like being frugal sometimes and, and just sort of not wasteful. And yeah. I think that, um, you can, uh, have a good quality of life and not have to have all those things. Like I, I'm just, I, I also have friends that are, you know, very much in debt and just trying to keep up with all the gadgets and getting their kids in the right school and da 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 and it's just like a rat race and yeah. I just you know I don't want in on that at all so <laughs> it's finding that that balance again you know where you uh, it's like right now I'm reading this like this book it's kind of like super girly it's like the magical art of tidying up or something hmm. it's written by this japanese author ah, yes she was on tim ferris's podcast sorry did yeah. you hear did you hear about that book yeah i've heard about it through there and i was like really interested in it so yeah it's actually a, um it's an interesting book because it's it's uh, it's more it's philosophical but also very practical it's very japanese uh, though right Oh, it's super Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like a like a um, her her her. She's like a um, home. She's a like she's like yeah. she, she takes care of her family and stuff. But she, yeah, she found like this love of maintaining her house and keeping it tidy and stuff in that experience. Yeah, um, but it's not just a ma- It's it's kind of like um, her process is really interesting. But when I was, I just came back and my stuff was all stored in one room and I hadn't looked at any of my things for like a year. And I, I went from living in a 1500 square foot, two bedroom house, like a big house for one person yeah. to a eight tatami mat 
studio. <laughs> and I did Japan, it was like, oh, I, it would take me 10 minutes to clean my place. It was super efficient. And the bathrooms there, the way they're designed, they think about everything, you know. And the fridge was very small, and everything in Japan is like half the size it is in the US. <laughs> yeah. I like that, though. I do too. And at first it was like, what? You know, this is such a tiny little bottle of salad dressing. But you just, you get adjusted to that. And yeah. it's actually very, um, you don't waste as much because in America we buy in bulk because it's cheaper, but we end up not using like a lot of the, you know, stuff just ends up sitting there yeah. for like months or years and you end up throwing it all out in the end anyways. Yeah. So, um, and then you just have more shit. You yeah. Know? And it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and then it, it owns you rather than you owning it in a sense, yes. you know, which is and a so bummer. Back, I had to unpack all this stuff and I just went through this like purge where I don't need all of these things, you know, and I like going to thrift stores and yard sales and just have all these random things that are just not being used. And then I started reading that book and it was kind of, I was already on that path, but just reading all of through her experience and what she noticed in like thousands of her clients, yeah. you know, really like, wow, <laughs> it's really interesting. But she has a whole system of how to like arrange your clothes mm. and like how to maximize your space. And then what she, her main thing that she keeps like hammering you with is just, does it spark a joy? Spark joy. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was her whole thing. I remember that on the podcast. I was like, that's true. If it doesn't spark joy, why have it? You know? Right, because you think you should have it because it makes you feel smarter to keep this book, but you'll never read it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. For 10 years, you know, yeah. I'm going to read it next year. I promise, but then you never read it. We have good it's, intentions, right? I think for the most yeah, part, our I, intentions are to be better. I think most yeah. people um, want to be better, you know, in one way or the other from, you know, um, I think that's one thing that's really interesting about life in general is just trying to be aware of different perspectives. You know, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a pimp in New York or something. He just wants to make more money or whatever it might be, <laughs> you know? And then there's a guy like farming or whatever, and he just wants to make more money just to like, you know, ease up on his ability to have to work all the time or spend time right. with his family or play yeah. Call of Duty. I don't know, whatever it might be, you know, but there's all these different things. And I think that was one thing I took from her too. It was interesting because when you mentioned, you know, like sparking that joy or following your joy, I think. It's cool because yeah. that influence is like crossing over and that's really good that you're able to do that and see that because that's a that's a real big power to be able to have um, the ability to see clearly and then your th your things don't own you like you mm -hmm. end up owning them for a purpose mm -hmm. of joy, you know, rather mm -hmm. than just like a purpose of well, oh, I it have just, a void, that, you know, yeah. the things that you're possessed, you cherish. Yeah, that's, you know, that you, you really it means something to you and it's not just an idea of what you think you should have, but you really feel it. And yeah. so I think if you, you know, if you're like that in your own home and you're like that in your work, like what a wonderful life, you know? Yeah, indeed. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's really the, the key with all this stuff is really finding those things. And I'm, I'm just as guilty. I have a bunch of books, some books <laughs> I'll probably too. never read because <laughs> I got them with a good intention to be like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to read that one day because that's it's a great crazy. book and it's going to inspire yeah. me. But it just ends up sitting there. My wife right. will come in the office. She's like, are you going to get rid of some of these books? I'm like, no, don't ever say that. You know, like, <laughs> I like we can get rid of anything favorite. else, but not my books, you know? So that's how I feel. And, and records and music. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's even more difficult to part with. Yeah. Because those are memories. Those are attached to memories yeah. and, and things like yeah. that. And I think 
But I think if you can release that and have like that freedom, I think that's really the key. And personally, I wouldn't mind to not have, I mean, when I, when I was in college, I had like a futon, a sleeping bag, um, a computer and some clothes really. And I was like, Oh, this is great. I just felt liberated. I could do whatever I wanted. I could throw everything I had into a car and go do whatever I wanted, you know? Um, but there's a difference when you become a parent. I think you, you have to dig deep to get those roots and show that foundation and give it oh, that foundation, you know? Right. So I think it's, it's difficult, you know? So it's, it, there's a crossover that happens, I think, where you have to be that staple thing, you know, but at yeah. the same time, my mom raised me as a nomad, really, we would move every six months or so. So every six months. Yeah. About every six months. Yeah. I really hated it. That's why I moved out when I was 14 because I just couldn't uh-huh. take moving around so much. I couldn't have a girlfriend or I couldn't have a friend, you know, yeah. outside of that. Cause you know, this is prior to the, I'm totally dating myself. This is prior to like cell phone texting oh. and internet, you know? So right, right. I was like, come on, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to hang out with your friend, you would have to go to his or her house and say, Hey, you know, can we hang out <laughs> and so have a face to face interaction in Maui or all over the States? All over the place, from Colorado, mm-hmm. New Mexico to Vermont, right. Maine, Boston, all over California. Um, yeah, yeah, and all over the all over but the. the even if you just move towns, like my family would move every two or three years up yeah. until I was in high school, and I hated it too. You know, yeah. especially being you know a minority, like it would it, probably what you experienced when you went to Maui. You know, yeah. you get teased, and it's just like traumatizing when you're a kid. Yeah, it and sucks. I hate that, you know. I, I felt the same way as a boy too. It was always like, okay, now who do I have to fight to realize yeah. to make them get off of me? You know? So every time I had to go to new school, I had to go fight some jackass, you know, I'm like, damn it. Really? <laughs> uh, well, we were, you know, when you're impoverished too, you live in like kind of shitty areas and yeah. those people, and I'm not saying they're shitty. They're just like, they're busy working and they're not taking care of their kids, giving their kids moral support to go like, Hey, you don't need right. to go punch somebody in the face, you know, like right. you right. can be a good person still and, and have friends, you know, you don't have to mm-hmm. be an asshole. So, <laughs> so every time we moved was like in a kind of, um, slightly impoverished area. And mm-hmm. so people just interact differently there, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they speak with their hands and, and fists and stuff, you know, rather than communicating with their mouth and language, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. almost like jail, I guess, in a sense, you know, like going to new jail. <laughs> so I freaking hated it. Cause I'm like, I don't really care about that stuff. You know, I just want to go be by myself and do some art stuff, read some comics or something, you know, uh, yeah. get stuck in that. But yeah, I think a lot of this stuff, it really comes down to your programming and, and, and how you use that to interact with and how, to, how what you take with and what you leave with. Yeah, you have to use that as your, you know, make that an advantage because you have this, you know, your own unique background. And what do you take from that that you can, you know, make that something that uh, is a strength instead of a weakness, right? Yes, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask you is, going to Japan and going through this year long apprenticeship underneath a master is what was one of the, one or two of the, the main habits that you found that were count, counterproductive to your growth out there? And it, it, are they still sticking with you? Do you have coming back to Hawaii? Does it, does it do those things stick with you? Yeah. Like, you know, like, Oh, you know, um, one of my things I had a hard time with is like, I like to stay up late and sleep in, you know, but you can't do that kind of stuff, you know, like one of those kind of habits where, you, you, you well, possess time on your own or any of those kind of things, or, you know, you have one, a low attention span or whatever it might be. I found very different, um, about 
my teacher and maybe some Japanese craftsmen is they are so dedicated that they basically eat, live and breathe their craft. Yeah. And I, you know, although I totally respect that and I understand, you know, like that's probably why they're so successful. Um, that's just not who I am. Like I need to have variation in my life. Mm. Like I have friends and I like to go hiking and travel and mm. I have other interests besides ceramics. And I think that will never change. And if that's going to prevent me from being like hugely successful, but I'll be happy, then I'll take that over the success. Hmm. So that's good to though. me. That's, you know, it's really important to, to have a life outside of my work yeah. and for him and for, you know, what he was trying to teach me <clears throat> was just his way of life. Mm. And it's, it's a, a, like a philosophy, you know, like he's not really working. This is just an extension of himself and who he is. Yes. Yeah. It's very pleasurable for him, you know, mm. but, and so for me, I feel, I would like to feel that way, but I think that, um, um, there's a lot of other things in my life besides ceramics that I enjoy. So mm. if I only did ceramics, I think it would be stifling, you know, yeah. like if I didn't have any other hobbies or interests, um, that would be hard. Uh, so I kind of like, I look up to like Picasso, you know, cause he did so many different kinds of art and he was, a you know, he loved life, right? He had, many lovers, many different interests. And, and I think, wow, like that's, that's kind of a good role model. You know, like I really loved how he went beyond just painting and drawing and he did ceramics as well and sculpture and all sorts of stuff. But by that time he was super famous. So <laughs> yeah, you can kind of like at that point you're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do whatever because you've created a solar system in, in and of yourself and you're the sun in the center. So yeah, and that's difficult, right? To go, from like um, being somebody that's still struggling to be exposed and discovered mm. to making mm -hmm. that, you know, starstruck because he's a household name. I mean, how many yeah. artists are household names? There's Da Vinci, yeah. um, Picasso. You're, You're the genius. So, yeah. yeah, I don't feel like I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah. mm. But, you, I, you know, it's um, not most people that I mean, like if you have a lot of younger people listening to your podcast, like not everybody is going to become famous, but it's not about that it's just at least to me it's not like yeah i agree of course it would be nice to be recognized and to be at a you know a higher level um and that's what i strive for and i have ambition for that but at the same time i think you know i'm i hope i'm mature enough to know that okay like there's also my life and what i enjoy doing and how i enjoy being and it's it's you know uh, not just the work. Yeah. I think what you're getting at is your, you, your, your spark for joy comes from many different things in the and variety. That feeds yeah. Ceramics that feeds my creativity. Yeah. Whereas, hype, you know, you know people, they, they can isolate themselves and just do that, you mm -hmm. know, just do the art and they don't need outside stimulus. But for me, when I go camping or when I travel or when I, socialize with other creative people that gives me new ideas hmm. so i think that's a good way of looking at it though there's a quote that i always think about when it comes to mastery as well to you know something to be cautious of is that um, when you over specialize you breed in weakness and because you're constantly in your own bubble 
you know, and you're not aware and cognizant of the other things that exist out, outside of it. Um, yeah. And you can just kind of get wrapped up in your own priorities, you know. Do you ever think about like, um, you know, how styles and trends change and how do you keep up with that and what it is? Uh, I think I had maybe in a, one of your podcasts, you know, this uh, issue of like, I don't know if it was your podcast, design versus art and, you know, what's the difference and, yeah. and then how do you, how do you stay relevant, you know, as, as you grow and change and as the times change and, I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I think you just have to really follow your heart, you know? Yeah. That's kind of one thing I want to definitely talk with you about is because your passion and love and what you've dedicated yourself to with, um, under this apprenticeship is, is ceramics and living in a world of today where it's like, you know, Ikea is just dumping them out, you know? And, and right. it's like, we're in a fast food, fast consumption, you know, fast fashion, everything society, right? right. you know, how is it that, you know, I, I guess I imagine in Japan, because maybe you should kind of explain kind of what everything mm. built up and you had your solo show mm. and then you were able to put be put into that that store, which is a very unique experience out there because they have a completely different product to market um, structure. Yeah. But I mean, that's got to be really interesting. Something that I imagine you think about is like mm-hmm. you know, going yeah. crate in barrel or something, you know, it's like there's just right. tons of it, you know, and like, wham, you know, so. Well, in Japan, it's happening too. I mean, in general, people appreciate, they have a pottery tradition, whereas America doesn't really have that, right? Because pottery, ceramics have been around in Japan for thousands of years, and everything kind of centers around the way they eat food, food presentation, small portions. And so there's way more variety of dishware that the Japanese use for eating. Whereas in America, you know, when you get a set of dishes, people in general, I'm speaking in general, people tend to want a set of four matching plates with, you have your salad plate, your dinner plate, your uh, soup bowl, which also is your cereal bowl, and then, you know, a coffee cup, right? And those are like four or five main pieces in, in, in functional wear. Yeah. Whereas in Japan, they have different bowls and dishes and cups for different drinks and food. So like you have a sushi plate, or then you have like, you know, a lacquer bowl for your miso soup, but then you have a different bowl for another kind of soup. And then you have the rice bowl and then you have the donberry bowl and then you have the, you know, uh, you know, appetizer. There's just like, I don't know, like 50 or 60 different kinds of size dishes. Yeah. It's crazy. And so when you look into a Japanese person's cupboard, it's usually got so much more range of, uh, dishware Mm. because they use different because they're very specific in what they like. And, and um, you know, if, they, if you have noodles, it comes in this type of bowl. Mm. So, Udon and noodles if, and, yeah, yakisoba yeah, is a different one. Yeah, <laughs> That's interesting. So I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah, it's really fascinating. And they have plates just for curry because it has to be a deeper dish plate than a regular mm. dinner plate. I love curry. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there's more support for ceramics there. and yeah. But there's 50,000 potters in Japan. 50,000 oh, wow. potters. At the kind of like what Ken's doing or below him or just kind of in general? Just in general. Like mm. like, like the average. That's like the. It's pretty saturated total, then. The total professional, professional potters. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's saturated, but they have, you know, they have a high population and more people use a lot of different dishes and of course they're also being overtaken by like the ikea type of crate and barrel stores and a lot of younger people 
are just getting plastic now, you know, stuff. And so definitely in the last 20 years, um, uh, ceramic sales have dropped, you know, overall. Yeah. Um, and people don't appreciate, you know, all the different dishes, but they have a tradition in it. So it's like in their psyche, you know, to buy more pottery than, let's say, Americans would. Yeah, yeah. Um, but th- yeah. I don't know, like for me to, right now there's like a resurgence of uh, ceramics in the U.S., especially in big cities. There's tons of potters, you know, like, uh, emerging and there's like this whole new wave of, of appreciation for ceramics. Mm. So I don't know how long that will last. <laughs> there's a return yeah. to the basics, I think for sure that's happening. I think so. I think we were oversaturated with all, you know, the cheap ready-made stuff. Yeah. And so now people want to feel and touch something that's handmade. Yeah. There's, of course, it's like a niche market in a way because it's more expensive to buy things like that. But there is kind of so like a return people, to though. craft. Yeah. There's so many people out there, though. There's such a big population that even if your clientele was like 0.001 of the population, that's, I imagine, it's plenty enough to hopefully support you and what you do. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying is really interesting because there is um, <laughs> the good thing and the bad thing about what's going on with the earth and, and humans is there. There's a lot of humans out there. Right. The bad thing is there's a lot of humans out there, you know, but, right, right, um, right. but yeah, that's just something I was interested and curious about because, you know, working in Hollywood and, and how fickle this industry is and how much it shifts and changes. And, yeah. um, you know, you learn one program and you dedicate yourself to that. And then two years later it's obsolete and you're like, Oh shit. You know, I spent all this time and focus on this thing and now it's, it's useless, you know? And yeah, but I think with food, and I think that's one thing about food is it's 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 not going away for a very long right. time, you know, and how we consume food and what we use for food. Mm-hmm. Do you own like plastic cookware and stuff, or is it? Mm. Are you like no? You must have only you know. And are you kind of like that as well? And kind no, of- I'm not militant about that stuff. I yeah. mean, I have maybe some. No, most of my things I have a mishmash of plateware it's kind of embarrassing but (laughs) (laughs) but i'm sort of i love vintage things so Mm. i kind of pick up i like um you know buying vintage or used items yeah things that have a history to it and some antiques so Mm. i just mix it all up and then i have a lot of my my own rejects like things that have flaws my own pottery that i'll use myself or I'll buy, I like to support other ceramic artists. So I buy, I buy their, their work and Mm -hmm. use that. And then you learn from, you learn from using. And that's, what's really cool about pottery is it's a very intimate, you know, if, if I, um, I'll send you a cup and, you know, if you can sometimes, uh, like a coffee cup, might feel really good to one person it'll fit their hand perfectly or their mouth or just the curve of it is just right and Mm. you end up using it like every day it's your favorite go-to cup yeah and if if my cup can do that for somebody which you know it has then it's like that makes me so happy because Mm. they're connecting it to it every day like that's like the you know biggest compliment um, and so that's something, you know, more than like a plate or a bowl, like something about like a mug hmm. is, 
if you find one that you really like that somebody made with their hands, that's quite special. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting connection that we are losing, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, I have a a drink tea usually at nighttime, like a nighttime tea to kind of just calm me out. My Mm -hmm. brain's going crazy all the time. Mm. Never stop thinking, but I uh, have this uh, Hawaii mug <laughs> that I always use. It's like, oh, really? it's got, <laughs> you know, hundreds of, of teas gone through this thing, but it's got a Kamehameha on there and it's got like the Hawaiian oh, islands on the map oh, and stuff. It's just like a nostalgic thing, you know, but it's, it's like a run of the mill kind of mug. Yeah, but I think works. it's that memory yeah. though and, and attaching something that of joy. We have like, I don't know too much too many mugs and glasses i don't know what to do yeah. with this but i don't use any of them except just that one it's just that one i'm just a creature of habit though it's like yeah but um, you know yeah. a few years you might break it or or you'll you'll find another cup and then you'll mm. use that one for a couple of years and that's you know that's kind of the fun of it like we're some weird change. creatures we're very weird yeah <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of weird with objects like that too, like a certain pillow or something that you just kind of keep going back to, yeah, yeah. as a habit, but also you just, I don't know, you like the way it fits or the way it functions and hmm. yeah. If you cool. if you had the chance to um, work in ceramics 100% of your time, not 100%, but like full time mm-hmm. and, and, and do that for a living, is that something that you would like to pursue or is it kind of this oh, yeah, thing that yeah. you you love that so it is it's one of those things that you want yeah, to give everything to then yeah that's the goal is to i mean when i was younger i loved why i got into set design was because i actually studied ceramics first but i felt it was really isolating and mm. i didn't like being alone all the time like that and yeah. i wanted to collaborate and so i got into theater and i love that aspect of design is that you know, you're always working with other people. But that kind of got old and I kind of burned out on that. And then I <laughs> sort of taken, you know, back to the ceramics and I like being alone now. And I like that. I, I guess also I feel more co- comfortable and confident in mm-hmm. myself. You know, I'm in my 40s. And so I don't mind, you know, slowing down and, and focusing on work that's mine and not, you know, I don't have to go to a director or a lighting designer, you know, collaborate with other people. Yeah. Cause that's tough. You know how that is. Like it can get oh, very yeah. political and then you're dealing with all these other egos <laughs> and the end result isn't what you thought it would be. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I know that one for sure. Cause it's, you're making art with others, you know, and yeah. oftentimes in these kind of bigger productions, you're making art with hundreds of thousands, oh, yes. even thousands of people. So yeah. Yeah. It'll be like one percent of your effort would be shown in the final, you know, or even higher if it's if right. it's, if your work is that influential. But yeah, yeah. I think you got to find that spark of joy. It's interesting what you talk about though, because I find I'm slowly slipping into that same kind of desire of being able to share what I know. But at the same time, if I can have a day without using like spending my time working on client obligations, I just feel mm-hmm. so much more centered and grounded and, and focused on myself. I find that when I have to su- succeed with a client or fulfill their desires, I just get much more irate and, and my, my emotions are all over the place because, yeah. uh, you know, they sent that one thing and it wasn't good. And I just felt bad, you know, right? because I right. want to just be, I want to get them what they want. You know, it's, that's how yeah. serious I take it. I want to be the best that I can with what they're hiring me to do, but right. yeah, it's difficult. It's the same know? if you do when we do pottery for commissions, mm. you know, dealing with clients or dealing with people that want, 
something specific, but with ceramics, you, you don't always know the final outcome because there's so many steps in the process. Sure. And when you fire, you know, the fire, each firing is a little bit different and the way you applied the glaze, you know, unless you've done something like a hundred times, like it's sometimes unpredictable. It's not going to look exactly like you thought it would. And that's why people, a lot of potters, successful potters tend to work on the same shape. Like my teacher has worked on some forms for the last 25 years, like Whoa. the same shape over and over. And he sells the them cup, all. Right? The cup, right? No, it's like a va- like vessels. He'll uh-huh. make these vessels, like hand-coiled vessels. And um, everyone will be different because the way it's fired and the glazing application mm-hmm. is slightly different. But the form is, you know, pretty much the same. Wow. And I was like, don't you get sick of making the same <laughs> shape? Yeah. For the like, last 25 years, he's like, no. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's I intense. Do that. Like, yeah. that is intense. Like, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, that's his signature style, right? I mean, sure. he's evolved through the years, but a lot of artists, you know, they, they have like this signature piece that they will make and customers want that. And that's mm-hmm. what they're famous for or whatever. Yeah. The, just the hope is, is that you're not sick of making it and, you know, of course, some pieces he's kind of retired, you know, over the years or some pieces maybe he takes a break from and then goes back to. But like, I think I honestly think he finds joy in making these things. It's meditative almost like you don't have to think about it. You already it's in your it's in your bones. You've made it like a thousand times and you can just bang it out. And, you know, and it's really good quality because you've done it so many times. But sure. that takes again, like discipline and <laughs> yeah perseverance and dedication yeah. and focus yeah, yeah. total does, dedication d- does he have a family and kids as well yeah he's got four kids wow wow that's you know? gnarly yeah yeah it's a different culture though it's a different setup though i'd love right. to meet him someday if i'm ever back in japan i doubt yeah. i would be able to but i would love to just meet him and say hello and He's a great guy. He's a really, you know, generous person. And he's got a, you know, he could be very uh, stoic and authoritative and scary, but he's also <laughs> really funny and kind and, you know, uh, very generous. So I'm really grateful. Sounds like exactly what a good apprentice, I mean, a good master is, though. Yeah. Not, you know, because you want to kind of fear that person a little bit. To right. re- remind yourself to respect that person, you know. Right, yeah. right. And the boundaries are very clear, mm. you know, like you win. And he warned me before I went. He's like, when I went to visit him, you know, uh, he was like, okay, you're my guest right now. But when you start studying under me, things will change. So mm. I'm just warning you that now you are my guest. <laughs> you bust out the whip and then. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he was actually really good. He eased in on me. Like he wasn't, you know, like I was able to ask a lot of questions and he didn't really, but after a while, you know, he'd be like, use your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Stop asking questions, you know, like, Mm. and people had warned me like, don't ever ask questions, but I couldn't help myself in the beginning. Well, you also come from a world of asking questions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I'm a nosy person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's kind of how you perceive your reality. You know, I'm very similar. So if I see something, I'm like, okay, well, how did you do that? Why did you do that? You know? Exactly. We're curious, I guess. I think it's important to stay curious and stay um, youthful in that curiosity. 
but it's it's all in the different approach though and i think the approach is really interesting um and one thing i noticed too is that you're quite you you use instagram quite a bit too how has that kind of affected your presence and your ability to reach your fan base and stuff has that been a good device and a tool for you Yeah, it's amazing. Like I really more, you know, what's really cool about Instagram is you connect with other people in the same field. Yeah. And I've met and made friends with people through Instagram that came to Japan and visited me and and then it's a great community for for that, you know, if you're specializing in something, mm. I would take full advantage of it. Um yeah, it's been great and then just getting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, so the website, you know, you have to just nice. You do a great job displaying your work, by the way. Oh, I think you, you did a good you. job. Usually, like I would go and see a site like this or something and it'd be like, "Whoa, this is bad design, but it's nicely. I mean, you got a lot of square space, you know, you throw up the images and put in some type and bam, there you go. You feel pro, you know, so. That yeah. Helps. <laughs> and there's people like I think also looking at other artists and like there's different ways you can sort of present yourself. It's like, you know, your persona, right? Your online persona. But some potters that have like tens and, you know, tons of followers, like they um, use it as a way of teaching. Like they will tell a story or explain a lot. Mm. And so um, for me, I did a little bit of that. But at the same time, I didn't want to reveal too much mm about what was happening um because it's you know it's my teacher's studio and i you know for his privacy i didn't want to get too detailed into what i was learning yeah but here's there i would explain some stuff that i felt like you know would be fine to be publicly shared but yeah now you're underneath now you're out from being underneath all that too which will help too and i think anything anytime you use these social media things and post things up it's all about giving value to somebody you know whether it's like that's one thing i learned over the years it's like sharing that um sharing that value sharing that journey being open and transparent and and being direct with people and you know like Mm -hmm. i personally love it when somebody breaks down and tells me what they were experiencing or feeling whether it was good or bad and Mm-hmm. that authenticity mm-hmm. is really what cl- allows me to cling to that people, those people. And I think what's interesting with the internet, as I see it almost like it's a return to the small town mentality. Mm. You know, people are a little bit more accountable and we're a little bit more connected to the niche things that we're interested in. And people are, are you can't really hide underneath it. When, right. when I was growing up, you know, you get the news from Fox news and little did we know right. we were being lied to the entire time. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but isn't it kind of weird though? Like with Facebook, like I'm pretty disturbed by, um, the algorithm algorithms that they because you're basically getting news yeah people are just getting news from facebook based on algorithm algorithms what you liked or what you're following and then it becomes a very skewed or focused reality that is not (laughs) you know like if you're a conservative or if you're a liberal like that's the kind of news and things you're going to see on your feed yeah it's not really you know, so that's why I think that it's real good. news. It's it's like friends it's perspective a, news. Yeah. 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 But I think that's what it is anyways. I mean, when it comes to news and information, you're getting it's your own perception on things, you know. So whether mm-hmm. you're for or against something, it's it's the same thing on the opposite side. It's just yeah. opposite op- oppositions, you know, and opinions yeah. of things, you know, which is always really weird for me. I always feel like um we're so alike, but so different. And all it is is a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all mm-hmm. it really is. It's like a slight yeah. shift, but 
No, that's yeah. cool. I really think that's awesome. I think it's really smart of you to use these platforms too. Mm. To get out there and share what you love, share that joy that you have with what you have, what you're interested in, your journey. But I mean, if you think about it, if you didn't, if you said, no, I'm not going to do the documentary, we wouldn't have this conversation. So putting yourself out there, I think, is a very important thing. Thank you. I think yeah. it's really important, you know, and, and like that was a conduit that connected us. And now we have a friendship and now you're on the podcast and sharing your journey with everybody else. And I imagine from this journey, you're going to get you're going to make more friends, you know, from this conversation. I would imagine there's people that are going to connect with your journey and 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 want to you know have feedback or just be curious about the details of it and all that kind of stuff you know which i think is it's really good i think it's really important yeah and i've really enjoyed listening to your podcast as well hmm. yeah. thanks and slowly um i started doing them because uh i was really bad at listening and i was really bad at communicating <laughs> both of those so i really? started doing them because i was I wanted to get better at them. Um, yeah, what? that's exactly why. So, and also just very curious, you know, and wanting okay. to know more and also shed light on things that I think don't often get talked about because it's a much more dynamic flow of conversation mm-hmm. and, and, and shedding light on things that, you know, like depression or, you know, artist integrity or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Things that often aren't talked about, I think need to be exposed a little bit more so people don't feel so mm-hmm. alone. I think it's really important. Hey, you know, I didn't really listen to podcasts until I started um, working on my own work in this studio. Mm. And I would just be in my own little studio space for like 12, 14 hours a day. And I was just going through podcasts after podcasts. And it really was like I maybe that hindered my um, me learning Japanese because I was listening (laughs) to all these, you know, English podcasts. But it Mm. made me it kept me sane mm, yeah. because I was, it really kept me sane because I was able to kind of connect to stories and listen to people go through things like, cause otherwise I would just be so isolated for most of the day. Yeah. What are some of your favorite podcasts? Oh, let's I see. A couple uh, I love. Yeah. Uh, well I would listen to yours uh-huh. and I listen to, I like the moth. Mm, never heard of that. Moth oh, podcast. it's my favorite one. Yeah, I think favorite. It's, it's just uh, real people telling stories. Oh, okay. Awesome. I love those. Those are my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I love the story ones. And I listen to like Radio Lab mm, and Radio Lab's great. Um, in the media. And I listen to, oh, I like um, Song Exploder. No, I never heard of it. Oh, actually, I have actually. Um, song yeah, Exploder. They, they did. They take, take like a track and then they um, they go f- further into it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, and so. I like all songs considered. I like music podcasts. Mm, okay. Yeah. And one, I, I listen to Tiger Belly every once in a while, which is like totally ridiculous. This Korean American comedian just like <laughs> shoots the shit and just is gets really gross and disgusting. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'll listen to like Joe Rogan or, you know, various mm. ones. But those, the ones I mentioned are my, the main ones that I'll kind of listen to. I love Joe Rogan's too. Really good. Joe Rogan's yeah. Great. If he has a good guest. <laughs> yeah. It all depends on the guest, but he's so, he is such an incredible, um, interviewer he's so good at extracting information from people right? i mean he's on he's almost a thousand episodes so I know, before that he was doing all the ufcs and then he was on shows so yeah it's just and he's got an, a, an incredible inquisitive mind too 
Yeah, um, he's got a brain on in him, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like every time I listen, I'm like, damn, Joe, you're getting, getting deep with it and very analytical and he's very um, well-versed in things and, and educated yeah. on things and able to really navigate those uh, those conversations with that is a is a definitely um, a frame of art to communication and, and exposing and, and extracting information in an interesting entertaining way have you listened to um the podcast called um oh man serial the serial podcast yeah i have yeah. and yeah. shit town? did you listen to shit town no i didn't S-town? listen to that. Yeah. oh my god that is so good you shit have town? to yeah it's called s town but it means shit town S Town podcast. It's just a serial. It's maybe part of that serial thing. Um, oh. It's just like seven or eight. It's a story about this guy, and it's crazy. Mm. And there's maybe like seven or eight episodes, and then it finishes. Oh, I love those. Those are my favorite. But it took them like you know, it takes like sometimes two or three years to make those things, and then you'll just like binge listen, and you'll be <laughs> in like two days or something. Yeah. <laughs> kind of love that though but at the same time it is a bummer because yeah we're just consuming things so quickly quickly yeah yeah, i love the those are great i'm gonna check out the the moth podcast and then definitely s town because i haven't heard any of those yeah Mm -hmm. i love a good podcast i think yeah you find one that you like shoot it over to me and i'll absolutely yeah the you've mentioned all the ones that i normally listen to there's one that i listen to because um i run a couple businesses as well and so it's called um how I made this, I think it's called. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that one's really interesting. Um, just because you, uh, how I built this um, by oh, NPR. How I built this, right, yeah, right. Yeah, that one's really good. Um, I love just how, just hearing you know the difficulties behind these things that we take. You know, oh, it's crate and barrel. Yeah, sure. You know, but then you get to hear the wife and husband story behind it and how they got started. Just dispelling the yep. myth of things, I think, is really interesting because you know we look at them as these, you know, these items in, in life like oh it. yeah and then you realize what went into it. Yeah, yeah exactly and it exposes mm-hmm. it and it's not intentionally it's just kind of what what exists with it um sure. one of the, the last things i really wanted to touch base on before we wrap this up is i wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that you would offer to yourself in the past you know like if something that you could say to your past self to save you um some hardship or an issue or um, something to help guide you or make you a better person or stronger today is what would that advice be? If anything at all, unless you're completely content and happy, that's also <laughs> a definite Gosh. possibility too. But I, past advice. Dude, past advice. <sighs> um, well, kind of like what we were talking about, I think um, don't give up. Mm. You know, I think I've given up on things, whether it's, you know, just stick with it a little bit longer Hmm. and maybe you'll, you know, uh, overcome that obstacle. So I think when you're younger, it's, it's easy to quit, whether it's a relationship or a job or something that, you know, you like doing, but it's a struggle. And so I think that, um, to persevere with something just a little bit longer, like when you think you just like had it and you don't want to do it anymore, you're fed up just stick with it a little bit longer and mm-hmm. it might pass. I guess that's some advice I would give my former self. <laughs> yeah, no, I like to usually wrap the shows with these because I think it's good for anybody that's listening to this to take something positive or negative or yeah. whatever, just take something away with it. And, you know, yeah. you might be listening out there and, and dealing with something really difficult or wanting to approach your own difficult challenge in life and right. being just reminded, just, you know, that 
face your, you know, running away from your fears is, you know, you've just missed all these opportunities. Face your fears and do what it is that you're, you know, identify what the fear is and just face it and just do it. And I think that it'll pass and then you'll realize, oh, it's not that big of a deal or it wasn't that bad. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, during my apprenticeship, you know, I had many, many fears Hmm. and, you know, but just, I stuck with it and just kind of, I was so scared to do the exhibit. I was like, why did it, you know, why did he give me such a, so much pressure because, I don't speak the language. I'm going to have to talk to customers. I have to like, you know, cram all this Japanese in. And then if I look bad, he looks bad. I felt tremendously responsible, Mm. you know, not only to myself, but to him. And that's one thing in Japan is that when you are working under somebody or studying under somebody, they feel very responsible for you, but you also must feel very responsible for them. Mm. It's a two way thing. And, and so, there was a lot of fear, you know. I love that. Um, That's I love that though. It's because it's yeah. a two-way street. I love that. It is totally a two-way street, and so I'm indebted to him for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. you know. Or I feel that way, and that's how they look at things too. Like because it was a great risk for him. I mean, I could have walked away any time, you know. Yeah. I could have left, and um, and so could people in Japan. They don't. They're not like bound by chains. Sure. But it's that sort of obligation, that commitment that is so strong, you have to see it through. Yeah. Um, and that is really deep, you know. I think that's a, a deep thing that maybe we're lacking a little bit in this world now because it's such a uh, quickly changing world. Like nobody feels safe or secure in anything, you know. Yeah. It's true, though. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 almost like a self-propelling thing that we kind of yeah. bring upon ourselves and you know, we complain about this stuff, but we definitely do like enjoy having Wi-Fi during this whole call, you know, and that only <laughs> comes from people suffering, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people having to stay up later or like somebody having to, you know, work. I mean, that's, what's interesting about Hawaii though. There is a complete difference in shift in mind state and, and, and presence. And I think I always say like people go to Hawaii to live, you know, people come to the mainland to work, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. We're just more, I think the land is more powerful here. Like the, yeah. the elements here are more in your face than in the mainland. I mean, like maybe it's different if you're in the country, but like in a, definitely in a city, you're just surrounded by people and buildings and things, you know, objects. And it's sort of distractions. I know, uh, just, uh, imposes itself over nature, but in Hawaii, you're always dealing with the elements, you know? I think it's, it's interesting though. Like I found Japan certain parts of Japan to feel really similar to the nature of Hawaii. Very much like Hawaii. That's why I'm obsessed with, with Hawaii. It makes sense because they're always dealing with nature as well. And they're an Island country and there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Which I found like, wow, this is interesting. Like this is very much similar to Hawaii, but, um, obviously different. Total aloha there. So yeah, absolute aloha. Somebody's more aloha than, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the nicest people I've ever met were out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to make a trip. Where are you thinking of going like, or residing maybe? Um, you know, I don't know. I think probably the first thing is to get out there and really just feel it out and and see what, (laughs) what's really clicking with me and my soul, I guess, if anything. And, you know, I might go to 
some little fishing village or something on south or something go oh there it is you know or mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in like, kyoto or something kyoto is really awesome i check out nara nara yeah. yeah, one of my favorite places um, where it's really cheap to live, but there's nothing going on, but it's only like an hour from Kyoto is uh, Higashi Yoshino. Okay, I think I've heard of that area. Yeah, there's some artists there. I have some artist friends there that, um, you know, if you if you do make it out there, I could introduce you. Or oh, man, I'd love to. I love meeting people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And creatives around the world unite, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not appreciate that. I, I'm... I'm looking forward. I think next year we're planning a trip to go out to Japan. So family trip. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited. We did the Europe trip this year and next year is going to be Japan. So, Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Where did you go in Europe? We went to, um, Belgium, all over Belgium and then (laughs) Amsterdam and then hopped over UK back home. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Definitely dug it. Uh, There's some really amazing little spots in Belgium and Amsterdam's just crazy. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there in like 20 years, but it was an amazing place. It's so freaking ripe with just culture and yeah, all that stuff. It's, it's just, um, yeah, it's just, I got tired of being around people though. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm sick of bumping into people. Like I'm tired of it. So <laughs> yeah, I'd rather go in the nature and just get away from people and go breathe and stuff. So, um, that's much more the kind of person I am, though. So mm-hmm. less. So if you guys ever come to Big Island, you're always welcome. Mm, thank you so much. Definitely have to make make a visit back because Kona is like where I grew up. So and, mm-hmm. and the Hilo side too. So in YPO and stuff, I grew up there. So I oh, love you grew up there. in YPO? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Right at the top, and my friend's dad owned a like a like a horse carriage kind of ride thing down the bottom in the, in the valley too. And he lived yeah. out there. It was so crazy. Cause he lived like, you know, without like electricity, just on generators okay. and stuff. So okay. yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful place down there. The black sand beach and everything. It's cool. yeah. incredibly tranquil out there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I miss it though. I need to go back. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you mm. so much for coming on the show. Like this Thank is you for having I, me. absolutely. I'm really stoked that we finally got a chance to do this. This has been a, uh, I think a lot of people aren't aware of how much effort and time and, and, and planning and structuring these things do take. And so mm. I'm hoping that everybody that signed in on this one really enjoyed it. And, and thank you first and foremost for being a guest on the show and sharing your journey with us. And um, yeah, thank wishing you. you all the best and everything that you're doing. And yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. You guys, uh, well, thank you so much and um, I'll catch you on the, the next episode then. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I really uh, enjoy your podcast and I'll be listening. And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank you to Suzanne for coming on the show and sharing her time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 161, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everybody.